house of God. Awesome. Open up your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 3. Anybody going swimming today? I thought it was supposed to be fall. Isn't it beautiful outside? Man, my wakeboard park closed down last week. We're all messing with them right now. Like, man, you closed down too early. I may remember a couple years, though, when it snowed on Halloween. So, I mean, it's a dangerous game to play. It's a dangerous game to play. But I've been taking up skateboarding. If anybody's wondering, we do it indoors now with my, with my kids. I totally look like a poser. I have all the pads on, the wrist stuff, and I'm going, like, really slow. And I'm just waiting for the snow to come. Anybody excited for the snow to come? couple of us, yeah, winter will be here before we know it, and then I'll be snowboarding. So just pray for me. I don't call it a midlife crisis. I just call it midlife hanging out with Christ, sis, or brother. You know, I'm hanging out with Christ. I'm hanging out with Jesus. I'm having fun. I hope, hope you're having a good day, having a good life. Living for Jesus is fun. If you're not having fun, trust me, it gets better. Get saved if you're not. And then if you are saved and you're going through trials and tests, rejoice knowing that God has already met others through their trials and tests and your breakthrough's coming. Amen? So we do mourn with those who mourn. That's the tough part about always being in a growing church is that, uh, you know, there's always various things going on. Some are getting promotions. Some are getting fired. Uh, some are having having miscarriages, sadly. Some are giving birth to babies. Some are getting broken up with and heartbroken. Others are getting married. I mean, that's kind of what it's like when you're a part of a community like this. Uh, that's why we have to always just be ready to love on each other. But how many know, despite what we go through, the general default position of the believer is from glory to glory to glory, full of joy, full of peace. Amen. Because this joy that I have, the world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. Mm, 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 mm. This joy that I have. And I got the choir back here. Come on now. Help me, Bricks. Okay, open up to Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. We are going to touch on a new subject today, who bewitched you, new subject. We're going verse by verse through the book of Galatians, but we're going to do some review. So if it's, it's new for you, the review is for you. But let's start in Galatians chapter 3, so glad that you're here. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Works or believing. Verse 3, are you so foolish? Second time he called them fools. Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit are now trying to finish by means of the flesh? So you saw that it was the works of the law versus what the Spirit was doing, and then now you see the dichotomy between what is happening in the flesh versus the Spirit. Now verse 4, have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? Let's keep going. Verse 5, so again I ask, Paul loving to repeat himself in the book of Galatians, so again I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law 
or by believing in what you have heard. So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Let's stay there. Go back up for me, please. Notice it here. He says, who bewitched you? And we're going to talk about that and what that means in just a moment. Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. And then he gives them did you, uh, this question, did you get the Spirit by believing or by works? And then he asked that question again, and he says, did you get the Spirit or did God do miracles among you? by works or by believing. And what is the answer supposed to be? By works or believing do we get the Spirit? By believing, by faith, right? Believing what you heard is how you get the Spirit of God. Now let's talk about this term bewitched here. It literally means to cast an evil eye. It's the only time that it's used in the Bible, and it's where we actually get that saying from in superstition, to cast an evil eye. Now if someone were to take this literal and to say someone cast an evil eye on them, that would be quite peculiar that Paul does not go back into the details of how one would be delivered from literally having what would be known as a superstition at that time as an evil eye. The better way to understand this is who has deceived you by taking your attention from that which you used to have your eyes on to now the eye of the false teaching. Does everybody see why that would be important to this context? Everybody say the eyes. Look again to that context. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Why would he, at this one place, use the word bewitching, which is not how it is in the Greek? See, the word there has the witching into it, but that is not how it would be perceived in the Greek. It would literally come out in their language as, who has given you the evil eye and has deceived you with this evil eye by putting the spell on you with an evil eye because before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Do you see now how this bewitching has less to do with something with superstition or actual witchcraft, but a false teaching? Can you see that there? Once again, if someone wants to take it to the extreme and say a false teacher is now the equivalent to a witch, and when you listen to false teachers, you can be bewitched or a spell cast on you, doesn't change where we're going in the context, but I don't believe that's what Paul is saying. That really wouldn't make sense to what had been happening in their midst. These were Judaizers. These were not witches. These were not people who were under satanic doctrine. Now, I have heard people try to stretch this and say, oh, what this means is any false teaching is always a doctrine of a demon, so forth and so on. We'll talk about 1 Timothy chapter 4, but then why doesn't he discuss that further? Why doesn't he continue on in a discussion about demons, deliverance, evil, and so forth, like he does when he talks about doctrines of demons? Matter of fact, let's go there now. It's on the list to get there. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1, please. How many want to work the Word today? Somebody say, work it. Amen. Now, notice the difference here and how he describes this. He says, the Spirit clearly says that, says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and following deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Do you notice the difference? He's clarified very clearly now what he's talking about. Deceiving spirits, things taught by demons. If you just swipe over to our notes, please. Is there any talk here about deceiving spirits and demons? 
Those who are reminded or need to be reminded of Galatians, let's go to Galatians chapter 1, just on the uh, passage uh, on our Bible program. Open up a new tab, please. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. There is zero discussion of deceiving spirits and demons in this context. But what does chapter 1, verse 6 say is happening? Evidently, he's astonished, and he says, evidently there are people who are uh, throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Highlight that word evidently, please. See, this is what's going on before them. There are people. Some may say people. That's the evidence before them. Now, just going over to the, 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 the scripture that we just went to in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, it's the other tab, please, there. Notice that it says that there will be people that follow what? The, the, what will they follow? Am I working the word too fast for you? Got to go a little slower. Okay, man, I thought you guys were a TikTok, Instagram generation, man. I thought you guys were, you know, hip to the technology. Karaoke screen working good in the back. Let's give it up for Daryl, man. He's working that word. Thank you, my brother. Come on. Mm, Keeping it real. Keeping it tight. Notice where we're going here. I'm just helping you understand we don't have to introduce witchcraft into Galatia in its setting. Just because your English word says bewitch when the literal Greek word means cast an evil eye or a spell through the eyes. What I'm trying to show you is when Paul is talking about spirits and demons and things taught by them, he actually names it. Notice it in 1 Timothy chapter 4. The Spirit says that people will abandon the faith and follow what? What's the first thing that they will follow? Deceiving spirits and things taught by what? Demons, okay? And then those things will come through the hypocritical liars. The teachings will come through the hypocritical liars. So he's very clear to say the demons will tell the people to say these things. Now go back into Galatians. In the passage, what we have in Galatians from our notes, there is nothing there that tells us that they are being bewitched primarily from a spirit. Now, if you want to say every false teaching comes from a demon, then that's your prerogative. But I don't believe every false teaching has to come from a demon. You can come up with false teachings all by yourself. Everything you believe is not true, and you may not be hearing that from a demon. Let me just ask you about this in natural life. If you're learning something in school, let's say mathematics, and you're learning something like 2 plus 2 is 4, but you put 5. Did a demon of error make you put 5 there? No. So does a demon have to be present for you to believe something wrong? Now, let's say you went around talking to people and you say, hey, two plus two is five. You're now deceiving other people to do that. Does that mean now a demon has told you it's five, the demon has now possessed you, and then now you're telling others it's five? This is all the work of a demon. No, everybody say no. How many know kids can get things wrong and not have the works of demons? So this is where we as people who actually care, this is, by the way, people who care about what the Bible says, we don't want to insert the devil into places he doesn't belong. He's got a big old butt, and we should kick it a lot. How many want to kick devil butt? But we don't need to insert him into places where it doesn't belong. In other words, people can have wrong ideas about God but not have demons. When I was an early Christian, I used to rebuke my mom whenever she was wrong, she was a Christian, and I would tell her, Satan, get behind me. And then she would look at me, and she would be like, it's just me, boy. I'm about ready to kick you out the house. I'm glad you're saved, but call me Satan one more time. 
and see how it goes for you. I'm being serious, man. I would just do that all the time. You said something wrong, devil get behind me in Jesus' name. You're just looking around going, I don't think I have a devil. I don't think I heard from a devil. I might have just been wrong, though. And this is where we have to understand that when we are dealing with error and things that are wrong in the church, we are supposed to have discerning of spirits. Go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 says, test every spirit. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So how can you test if there are spirits or people with their spirit giving you false doctrine? You're supposed to ask them if Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Why is that that test here in 1 John chapter 1? Hey, man, there's false teachers with false spirits out there. You better ask them this thing. Did Jesus come in the flesh? Why was that his question there? Most cults today would pass that test, wouldn't they? If you asked Mormons, did Jesus come in the flesh, what would they say? Yes, if you asked a Jehovah Witness, did Jesus come in the flesh, what would they say? Yes, even if you asked a Muslim, did Jesus come in the flesh, what would they say? So none of our major cults or false religions would have any problem passing that test. But why was that the test that he was bringing up in 1 John? Because he was dealing with Gnostics, those that believe Jesus did not have a flesh. He was a pure spirit that appeared as a flesh, and then they lived in a world of dualism where the flesh was evil and the spiritual was good. So as long as you didn't sin in your spirit by believing false things, you could do whatever you wanted in your physical body because the physical body could not, uh, could not affect your spirit. They were into a false doctrine, and that's why in First. John, why does he keep telling them over and over and over again, if you say you know God, but you don't believe, uh, you don't uh, keep God's commands, you say you believe in him, but you don't keep his commands, you're a liar. If you say you are in God, but you walk in darkness, you're a liar. Why do you think First John keeps doing that and then tells you this test about the flesh? Because that was a Gnostic false doctrine. Now, we don't need to get into that because we're not in First John. We're in Galatians, which is the other side of the false doctrines the Christians were dealing with that that time. They were dealing with Gnostics, those who denied the flesh of Jesus, those who believed they could live however they wanted. And the other false doctrine at that time is Judaism, or I should say Judaizers who mix a little bit of Judaism into Christianity. Everybody say the Judaizers. Thank you. So first John is talking about Gnostics and those who are denying certain things about Christ and living a certain way. And then Paul in Galatians is dealing with Judaizers who are adding law into grace, and that's why he's rebuking them. But notice what we're supposed to take from first John and put into our daily practice no matter who we're dealing with testing spirits. Now, what are our options when we test spirits, test prophets, and what they're coming with? There is the option when we're discerning. This is the gift of discerning of spirits. The spirit may be of human origin, and someone is just eating pizza, you know, passing gas, drinking Mountain Dew, and watching YouTube videos, and comes up with a bunch of crazy ideas. That's the spirit of a man coming up with the teaching, and you are to discern, hey, man, I'm not down with that. 
And you know what I'm talking about when I say it like that, because some of you have watched those conspiracy, Illuminati, the triangle. People have even said, I'm down with it because we got the triangle right here. You watched it all night. That doesn't mean it came from a demon. That could have came from your spirit from being influenced by flat earthers. We didn't go to the moon. Are you guys tracking with me? How many know you can be a flat earther but not be influenced by a demon? That's just a human trying to come up with other explanations. 9-11 was an inside job, all of that. And then now you believe it. No demons had to be involved in that. Number two, what's your other option? A human spirit? What's the other option? A demonic spirit. And we've heard from Paul, those are real. Demonic spirits do influence teachers to believe certain things, give them ideas, and then those ideas are promoted. How many think abortion is based in the pit of hell from demonic spirits? How many think homosexuality and the behavior of sexual perversion? How many think what Travis Scott was doing over the weekend, those young adults who know I stay woke on things? How many know he is demonically influenced? That's just not in the flesh. You can discern that's just not in the flesh. That's You can discern that, okay? And then what's the other option? God is speaking. God, the Holy Spirit, is speaking. So you have three kinds of spirits in the world, those that are of human origin, those that are of demonic origin, or that is what is coming from God. And you might say, well, what about a good angel, angel Gabriel, Michael, etc.? Well, that would be on God's side. That's what you're supposed to discern. Now, going back to our notes, please, in chapter 3, verse 1, we see that they had been bewitched. Does that necessarily mean that some demon had came into a person in that congregation and started teaching false doctrine based on what he heard from a demon? No, you have to read that in there. I don't have any evidence that that is what has happened. As I showed you in 1 Timothy chapter 4, when it was a, uh, a demonic origin, it lists it like it came from a demon. Okay, well, if this bewitching was coming from demons, why doesn't Paul tell us these false teachers have heard from demons? Do you, you understand how clear that would be? So where the Bible remains silent, what should we do? We remain silent. We don't know. And this is where people get in trouble because they speculate about what they don't know. It seems to be that it's not based in an evil spirit. It seems to be that these Judaizers had came to Christ and now wanted to figure out how to follow the Jewish law and also be a Christian. And what was for them so important was circumcision. So those who were getting saved were now being told by those Judaizers to get circumcised. Once again, how many know you don't need a demon to come up with that idea? That's just something you could come up with on your own. So imagine you're a Jew that's used to following 613 laws. You're used to seeing people circumcised that come to your your synagogue, even pagans who converted to your religion. You take them out back. How serious you about joining the synagogue, son? Drop the pants, get the knife, uh, Bubba. We, We circumcising somebody today. That's what you're used to. That's your culture, right? So now you become a Christian, Mashiach. He's your Jewish Messiah. And now you see these Gentiles coming to your new congregation or church. That's what the word church means, congregation, gathering. And you start asking them because that was important to you before to be a pecker checker. So now you check in people's pecker to see how they're doing. Hey, man, have you been circumcised? And then somebody says, no, man, I ain't been circumcised. Without even a demon talking to you, if that's your back, what is going to be a temptation for you to say? You're going to say, hey, man, let's consider you getting circumcised. 
And that would have been bad enough. That right there could have caused problems. But what we begin to see, go to Galatians chapter 2. This is review. Somebody say, it's just the introduction. Thank you. We're just at the introduction. We have to move past this so you can see it in context because I want to talk more about this. But go to Galatians chapter 2 and notice in verse 11, that would have been bad enough that certain folks did not know how to get into the new covenant. You know, okay, that's trouble. We got to work through it. By the way, don't you remember reading in Acts, the Hebrew Jews with the Greek Jews, they weren't getting along. See, there was trouble in the church. How many know you don't need a demon to be racist? You could be racist all by yourself, right? All of these things can happen in the flesh and a spirit. Don't get me wrong. Try not, I'm not letting the devil off the hook either, but I'm just, not, I'm just saying it's not all a devil either. So you can't blame it all on the devil. And so we see even in the book of Acts that some of these people were just having issues getting over their backgrounds. They were both Jews, but one type of Jew in the book of Acts had been kept in the Hebrew culture. That's the language that they spoke. They were the ones that had the, all the diets and all that down. And then there were the Greek Jews that were a little bit more loosey-goosey. They didn't speak the language. They weren't as intense as the others, and they were fighting. And the Bible doesn't say there was a demon involved in any of that. But notice, once again, that these problems are springing up, and those would be bad enough. And this Jewish problem would be bad enough if it wasn't for this. Look at chapter 2, verse 11. When Cephas, talking about Peter, that's his Aramaic name. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For certain men came from James. Uh, before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he drew back. He began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined with him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. That's what makes it bad now. I mean, we went from bad to worse rather. That makes it worse than it just being bad. It would have been bad enough just that the new believers didn't have this thing down. Like they didn't understand it. They were new to this. They hadn't understood the new covenant was a better covenant than the one they were in. And Gentiles didn't need to be circumcised. The moral law was, was what was going to join the two covenants together. You know, the same things that God said about not lying and not stealing, not committing adultery and not uh, being homosexual or perverse and all of those things would carry over. The morals would carry over. But the dietary laws, the religious laws around the temple, the sacrificial laws, the civil laws of stoning, those things were going to be done away with into a new and better covenant. And now that, like I said, would have been worse, uh, just bad as it was. But here's where it gets worse. Peter believes some of this stuff. And then when Barnabas gets around this, you're talking Barnabas could have been just as close to the, uh, G as, G as the disciples were to Jesus because we don't know who those 500 were that saw him at the resurrection or the 120 in the upper room. Barnabas, some church fathers say he was there. He was there from the very beginning. They even say he was part of the 72 that was sent out by Jesus. So here you see, not only is Peter having the, the wrong side of this thing, but Barnabas, who hears it, like he actually, actually has been traveling with Paul up into this point, but now he meets these Judaizers. He's listening to the discussion going back and forth, back and forth between Paul and these Judaizers, and he actually sides with the Judaizers over Paul. Somebody go, oh, snap. Listen to me carefully. That's why I don't care who believes what is wrong. Never believe what is wrong. Never believe something wrong because so-and-so said it. 
Being wrong is wrong no matter who you are. If I'm wrong, don't believe it because I say it. Go back to the scriptures. So this impacted Barnabas. And then look at verse 14. When I saw they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, because he knows the new covenant, and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Like you sitting here free eating lechon, because God told you in a vision to kill and eat. You're free, but how is it now whenever these legalistic people come around, you change your tune and you start dancing their dance? And that's what I see so often is that legalism sneaks in and tries to get people's on its side all sneaky, sneaky. And people who once used to be in a freedom, in a blessing of understanding there's grace and space for different people, will begin to side with the legalism out of their own, say, desire to get attention or their own immaturity, whatever it is, to follow a trend. Some may say trendy. There are false teachings always in the church, and be careful you don't follow that trend. Like, for example, if you saw on Facebook this past week, I had to deal with some issues. Why all of a sudden do people in this church who knew that we allowed people to, to choose or pick for themselves, whether they celebrate Halloween or not, have been in the church three or four years, but now this year it's an issue, while Ruslan is doing a podcast about it, while Mike Winger is doing podcasts about it, while Jeff Dermott is putting out things, why is it now the body of Christ is on a trend and now you pipe up and say something, but you've been in this church for three or four years. Well, I didn't know you all did that. You're a liar or you're stupid. We are very clear. Everybody look up at me. Everybody look up at me. You are a liar or you are stupid. For three or four years, you didn't know that certain families in the church dressed up. For three or four years, you didn't know out in the back parking lot, we put a rock wall 50 feet up there, opened up the gate, let people come in from off the streets, whatever they were wearing, Freddie Cougar or whatever, but let them come in, bounce on our house, love us. You didn't know anything about that. You are either an ignoramus to the highest degree, or you are a liar. Is everybody listening to me? But when legalism sneaks in and it becomes a trend, it's like, oh, it's trending now to be be a legalist? Let me now join in with this group. Be careful what group you join in when it becomes legalistically popular. Now, people, it's popular to cast out demons. Listen to me. I've been casting out demons before those people ever even knew what a demon was. And now that it's become trendy to say Christians can't have demons, and then some even want to say that somebody like me who doesn't agree with that, I have demons. Listen, I'll cast that demon of stupidity and rebellion out of you right now. Let's, let's prove to me you have a, that, that Christians can have demons cast out of them. Prove it to me while I deliver you. Prove it to me why I deliver you. Then I'll, then I'll question my doctrine then. Let's start with you. And by the way, I won't because I know that they won't let that happen. But you see, people want to deceive you into what is trendy. Do you know what was trendy two years ago? Because some of y'all even weren't even saved two years ago. So be careful what trends you jump on. You know what was trendy two years ago? Is that you could sin as much as you want but didn't have to confess your sin. I actually had to do a debate on that because we were out, some have already nodded in their head, because we were out preaching on the streets and somebody walked up to me and said, hey man, have you ever uh, confessed, are you a Christian? And I said, yes. You can see it on the live feed. He said, are you a Christian? I said, yes. He said, have you ever confessed your sin after being a Christian? I said, yeah, I've confessed my sin after being a Christian. He then looked at me and said, you're not a real Christian. I said, what are you talking about? Here's the deception. Are you ready to hear the lie? Here's the lie of the false teaching. When you confessed your sins to Jesus, that time you said you did it, 
That means if Jesus was really the Lord and Savior of your life, you believe he took past, present, and future sins. So now if you have sinned again and you're confessing your sins, you are now going back in unbelief, waving and being tossed back and forth. You're double-minded because you feel you have to confess again when back then you already confessed. And remember back then you were supposed to believe he took your future sins. I had to do a two-hour debate. It's online with somebody like that. Are you listening to me by God's grace? I had to show, I'll say, dude, I'll debate that anytime. So I had to go on to a podcast and literally debate this as a subject. Can you still be a Christian and confess your sin? Yeah, and then now this is what I have to debate. Can you be a Christian and be demon-possessed? You see the kind of stuff that follows in trends? But you see, two years ago, everybody's like, oh, it's a new teaching. This one dude did it. And he had the same kind of thing, followers following him. Everybody was listening to him. He has a little thing. And then it was this friend with that friend with this friend with that friend. Be careful on what you follow in trends. Be careful on you being moved from your position of security based on what is popular going online. The other thing that's going on right now is that it's popular to condemn people over vaccines, and people want me to jump onto that. I have been clear from the very beginning. I have never been anti-vaccine. I am not a conspiracy theorist. If you don't like vaccines and that's the world you live in, that's awesome. But please don't say stupid things like it's the mark of the beast, makes you electromagnetic, that it somehow changes your DNA when literally other Christian scientists, people that we use, like you use, you hypocrite, when you talk about the Christian evolution debate, you use these scientists on your side are literally telling you it is just a vaccine the christian scientists are telling you that now at this point you don't like it you don't want to do it then don't you do it don't you ever take another vaccine and we'll defend your right to do that are you listening we in this church have helped people who don't even go to this church have vaccine letters so that you can use them and say it's against your religious belief because we believe in this church it can be a religious belief for you not to want to take vaccines but I have never, nor will I ever, jump on a bandwagon that teaches something so anti-science and redonkulous. If you don't like the vaccine for X, Y, and Z reasons, you want to argue with that scientist to this scientist, please do that. But do not say if a Christian got the vaccine that somehow they are now a lesser Christian than you. I don't mean to call out people who have had vaccines, but one of our evangelists who came here has, a, has an autoimmune issue, uh, Adam, and he had to take it because he was of uh, high risk towards the things that have happened. And not only that, I have known dear friends in their churches who have lost Christians to this, uh, this COVID thing, right? And uh, people have died who have had these, uh, these preconditions. And he was talking to me about it as if he was scared to mention it. And I said, brother, we don't judge you here. And I'm speaking on behalf 
behalf of the church and everyone that I'm in leadership with, maybe somebody visiting might judge you. I said, brother, we don't judge you on getting a vaccine. My parents in their elderly years, uh, because they got the vaccine, I am not ashamed to say that. And so people who want me to jump on an anti-vaccine website and half-baked science here and half-baked, that's not me. I don't do that. Does everybody get that? Now, you may say, Joe, there's good science behind it. That's what the flat earther says, that there's good science behind the flat earth. That's the, what the one says, that, uh, that there's good evidence between the 9-11 is an inside job. I want everybody to listen to me. I put it in the same category. If you don't, listen to me. If you don't, I am okay with that. Just do not say to me, I am a lesser Christian than you. I am not thinking you are a lesser Christian. I just stand on my point. I'll debate it scientifically. It's not a spiritual issue. Does everybody get that? I think it was forced out. I mean, it was pushed out, but now it's been FDA approved. That was what I was waiting for. I was waiting for the documents. I've looked at it. Those who have had COVID seem to have better antibodies than the vaccine, so it's not important to push it on others. And it's certainly within people's religious rights not to do it, and governments should not force it, where this thing is basically the equivalent of a flu. I still say everything literally the same. But my scientific position is like Ben Shapiro, other conservatives, who say, I don't see anything in the science, in the science to make this an issue. Are you guys tracking with me? I said, are you tracking with me? You don't have to agree. I said, are you tracking with me? So why is it when these things come on trend, it gets in the church, and now we all have to jump in and believe it? It gets on trend that you don't need to confess your sin. Oh, let's all believe that. It gets on trend that we're all anti-vaccine. Now we all got to believe. No, we don't. We all here have the right to believe what comes from the Word of God, work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, and whatever you don't like about anything that has to do with your personal life and your personal family, please do that. And I promise, even though we may disagree about science, I promise not to put down your Christianity. I literally had a guy come up to me two weeks ago from the first service and go, Pastor, funny uh, story but true, I am a flat earther. <laughs> That's literally what he just said to me. And I said, brother, you are welcome here as a flat earther as long as you do not cause issues about the flat earth because that's not what we're about here. Do I believe that that's a redonkulous position? Yes, I do. And that's how I debate positions. I base on them on the knowledge that we have at hand. Can you be a Christian and still believe a silly idea like flat earth? Yes, that's, I think it's silly. Now, if you don't want to go to a church where a pastor thinks things are silly about flat earth, um, 9-11s being inside jobs, that we haven't gone to the moon or whatever, I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm not your vegan, anti-vaccine, homeschool, churn-your-own-butter guy. I still eat at McDonald's. Are you guys tracking with me? I still eat at McDonald's. I still, uh, when I went overseas, I took vaccines. I never thought twice about it. I still believe 9-11 was done by psychotic, demon-possessed Muslims. I believe that the earth is round and so is the moon and we have landed there and put a few flags there. I don't believe Christians are demon-possessed and need to confess their demons every time they come to church. You need to crucify your flesh. And I don't believe that it's wrong to confess your sins. I believe it's a part of the Christian life. Is everybody tracking with me? And then there's always others that come up, women in the ministry, this and that. Man, listen, if you want to start your own little house on the prairie movement, you are more than welcome to do that. Let's find four or five people that all agree with us. Are you against women in ministry? Oh, I'm against women in ministry. Are you against vaccines? Yes, I'm against vaccines. Do you think that it's wrong to do this? Wrong to do it? Okay. 
I, I grew up around the Amish. How many enjoy sometimes my Amish stories? I, I grew up around the Amish. It's not, it's not like a hypothetical to me. People here that are from Mexico or Latin or South America, you'll remember that a lot of them Amish moved out there. I know that they have, they've done what they've done. That's not what I'm going to do. I want to use the Word of God to live out the Word of God and not allow bewitching. I don't want to allow false teaching to take a place in the church. Once again, we can have different beliefs, but when it becomes to Christians' faith and conduct, it steps into a line where I'm going to be there. Amen? And so if you don't want no stuff, don't start no stuff. As long, I'm telling you, I need to say this one more time. As long as I've been a pastor, I've been around homeschool-only Christians, and I have been around anti-vaxxers the entire time I've been a pastor. Never been an issue. Now people want to make it an issue. That's what I'm trying to say. Do you get it? I have never changed on my homeschooling stance. I homeschool because that's what the Lord told me to do. I am not going to say you are sending your children into the oppression of the devil to be filled with evil spirits so that you stop, you know, sending them to a public school. Dan, what example have I told you guys before? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in Babylon. And God used them even in the time of oppression. They stayed pure and holy. That's a choice between you and your family, okay? So please hear my heart as we go back here. Go back to Galatians chapter 3. And I know it makes, makes it seem like I might be bullying you from the mic, but it's really not. I'm just trying to tell you how the house of God runs here. Galatians chapter 3 says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? In other words, who has turned your eyes from Christ and has set you upon something else? The answer is going to be revealed in chapter 5. So let's go there now. Chapter 5, verse 1, as we get into the message. Who are these people, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, that are bewitching them? I don't think that they are literal witches. I don't think that witchcraft is involved. I don't even necessarily believe that at one point it was done with wrong motives. Because we see that Peter and even Barnabas are falling into the trap of this. So there must be something about this to the Jewish mindset. To us, it's obviously wrong, but there must be something here that's compelling them. It's not just demons. It's not just something so simple to say the devil lied to them. There's something here that's being used to twist the gospel that is somehow appealing to them. And I want to take time to help you understand that. Chapter 5, verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Why did Christ give us freedom? To set us free. One more time. Why did Christ give us freedom? To set us free. And you can make all of those choices for yourself in the freedom God has given you. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. When does something become a yoke of slavery? When you put what you believe about God upon others, and then you say this equals righteousness. So your personal conviction now equals somebody's righteousness. And let me just stop here and tell you a story. When I was in Bible college, my friend got married. Most of my friends got married in bridal college, I mean Bible college. I didn't. I had to wait a decade, 10 years, from 18 to 28. I'm telling you, God was with me. I felt his presence with me every day, and I needed Jesus. I really did, seriously. So I went to one of my friend's weddings, and guess what? Mother-son dance, father-daughter dance, I left. I walked out. You know why? Because that was ungodly to me. You don't dance at a wedding. 
You don't put on a secular song. I can be your hero, baby. You don't put that on as you're cutting the cake. You don't have permission to do that. God said not to do that. That's of the world. We came out from the world. We're not of the world. Are those artists Christians? Even when my friends were making music, did that beat come from a Christian? And then one pastor made fun of me, and he said, is your milk coming from a Christian cow? (laughs) I had one Christian say that. Another pastor said this, I was raised to believe that only things that were good in life was going to church and eating food, so I became a fat preacher because that's all I could do was go to church and eat food, okay? And so I left out of there. And you know what? That's how I was for many years. But then as I began to, you know, look at the scriptures and say, well, it's not, this is not uh, Travis Scott. This is not Marilyn Manson. That There are things that lead to evil and that are dark. And then there are things that are beautiful, you know. Like I don't have to, uh, you know, Apple, uh, Steve Jobs doesn't have to be a Christian for me to see the beauty of the iPhone or uh, the inventor of the car and things like that. So I began to understand art is the same way. Uh, you know, you don't have to be a Christian to participate in something good. Even though unto Christ it's still not going to save you. But remember when he said to the fathers, he said, Though you are evil, you still know how to give your child bread when they ask. And so I began to kind of come under this understanding of what we would call, uh, you know, providential grace. That all humanity is graced in some way with God's giftings, his art, his, you know, the imago Dei, the image of God. And so I kind of started just dipping my, my toes in there, just dipping my toes. And so I would stay through the wedding. I would stay through the, the wedding dance and those kinds of things. Then when it came time for, for my wedding, my wife will tell you this is what we'll do this is it we'll do the you know the mother son dance the father daughter dance and then I'll let your family do the Greek circle dance and then that's it and that's literally how it was I was leaving my my wedding people are still eating and I'm just leaving the wedding because of course I'm ready it's been 10 years I I do with burn in my flesh so I'm leaving literally it's like we you know we had like a normal evening wedding I'm leaving it's like eight o'clock people looking at me while they're eating God is my where's my wife at? am I not telling the truth we are leaving and people are looking at us going where are you going I go, I'm done. This is it for me. Is that not the truth? There was no dancing outside of the Greek dance and those two parent dances. That was it. That was it. That was my wedding. And my wife will tell you, everybody was shocked how short the wedding was. There was none of the party or dance. Just imagine that. You eat the food. You saw the two people dance, the cutting, the Greek dance, and then there goes the bride and groom. We came in for town. We came into town for this. Yeah, that was that. That was 16 years ago, right? Okay, but then I'm just. But that was a lot for me just to do that. I dipped my toes in, and then God is my witness. About seven years ago, I was at a wedding, and I said, "Man, I'm just going to have fun." I told myself, "Joe, you are free. You know, God has set you free." So I tell myself, "Just, just go there and have some fun." And this is really the first time that I just go and dance. Every now and then, before that, I'll do the electric slide the different things with everybody. I have no idea how to do it. I just do this. Every now and then somebody has tried to help me move my hips. I thank God that you have been, pa- you've been patient with your white boy pastor. You know, the Latinos and the African Americans, they both agree that I can, the white people, especially this white boy, cannot dance. They have each tried to help me in their own culture and way, but I fail every time. You guys know what I'm talking about. So anyways, I go to this wedding and I say to myself, I'm not going to say who this because I don't want to, you know, make them feel bad. But I go there and I, and I told him, Stuff, man. I'm going to dance. I'm just not going to do the electric slide. I'm actually just going to dance. This is how I'm going to dance. I'm going to dance the running man all weird. I'm going to dance. I go there and dance. And after I'm talking like five minutes in, I'm just catching my breath. 
And I said in the first service, because it's a related sermon, we preached on grace and truth through John, and that's a beautiful sermon. Please check it out as well. And I'm catching my breath, and I said there that it was the father of the groom, but it was actually the father of the bride. He came up to me. He said, "I I don't think a pastor should be doing that. That's what he told me. That's what he told me. He said, I don't think a pastor should be doing that. And that was about seven years ago, and I haven't danced at a wedding since. I, did I come to your after party? I, was, I don't come. I don't even go. Now, part of that is I'm just not into dancing, into loud music, into all of that. But most of the people who have been married in the last six to seven years, I have not come to your reception. I do that out of grace for you. Save the money. Save the plate. And my wife sometimes will go. She'll make up for what I don't eat. She loves wedding food. She gets all the desserts and stuff and all that. But I don't go. And I'm, it's just not my thing. And the time that I went to try it was that's what somebody had to say to me. And see, what they don't understand is that that's like giving crack to a crack addict. You know what I'm saying? Offering me legalism like that. Because if I would have taken in that legalism, the next thing is I would have been rebuking him for letting his daughter wear what he, she was wearing. I would have been rebuking his wife. I would have been rebuking him for this day and that day that they celebrate worshiping a tree on Christmas. Do you use the King James? Are you listening to me? I could have went wild on They would have said, like, what have we awoken in this man's flesh? And it wouldn't have taken a demon because I'm telling you, I have believed as a pastor things that are false, and it didn't take a demon to get me there. I got there by myself. Now, certainly a demon can influence and so forth, and evil spirits can can manipulate us. But listen to what Paul is saying here. He's going to tell you where it's coming from. He says, mark my words. Paul, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you. He's going to repeat himself again. Notice he repeats himself multiple times in Galatians. Again, I declare that every man who lets himself be circumcised, and how many know we believe only men can be circumcised? How many believe that? You know, I mean, women, they've tried to do it in the Muslim countries, but it's not a genuine circumcision. The biblical circumcision can only be done on a man. And I declare that every man who lets himself be circumcised, that he's obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. You see, grace is beautiful, but you can fall away from grace. And then he says, for through the Spirit we eagerly wait by faith the righteousness which we hope. For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Now you see what's happening here. There are people that are telling them to get circumcised. And these people are now throwing them into confusion. And he is telling them, if you go along with this, you are going to fall from grace. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verse 1, please. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 tells you the progression of how you can come out of the things of God. This is going to be the example of those uh, doctrines that come from demons. It's literally doctrines of demons in the King James. Notice the progression because whether it's from the spirit of a demon or the spirit of a person, something that is false will work its way like this. You will first abandon the faith and then you will follow the thing being taught that is false. You see how it works. What must you do at first? Abandon the what? Abandon the faith. 
So do you see that what false teachers do is get you to abandon the faith and then have you stand on whatever ground they're standing on? In other words, you had to leave on what you were once on to go on what they're, once, uh, what they're standing on. And what people do in these times, because I've been around cults my whole entire Christian life, let me share this with you as well. Within a few months of being saved, I started recognizing that God had a call on my life, but I didn't know what that would look like. One of the days that I was uh, praying, I went to bed having think, you know, thinking about my calling, and I was kind of you know, having a question mark there, and I had a very vivid dream. In the dream, I was in a room full of people, and it seemed just like as if I was in a church gathering, like as if this room was full you know, before or after the service. We, the people weren't sitting down. They were just hanging out and fellowshipping, so I felt like I was in a Christian church environment, a fellowship hall, as it were. And then I noticed that there was one person in the corner dressed in white with some kind of medallion around his necklace. He had a necklace on with a medallion, almost looking somewhat like a cardinal, a bishop, not quite like a pope, not as quite decked out, you understand, with the frills and the chills, but had enough going on that you'd be like, that's a religious person right there. I then felt in my heart to walk over because he had a... A, a small group of people around him as he was animated in telling whatever he was telling them. I got closer, and in that dream, I began to hear what sounded like soft-spoken words, as you would hear in the Scripture, tickling of ears, uh, things that, that, that were soft and sweet like honey. And I was very intrigued by this person's ability to speak, putting forth their points, and then within a moment of me being there now into the small group of those listening to this person, Jesus spoke to my heart and said, this man is a false prophet. This man is, this is a dream. I've only been saved for a few months. This man is a false prophet. And then I heard something in my spirit say, expose him. And at that time, I was afraid because I had already met a Jehovah Witness a few weeks earlier because I was reading my Bible open like this at Stake and Shake. And when I was reading it, a Jehovah Witness you know, instigated a conversation with me, tried to mess me up, and I was very unsure of myself in the conversation. I felt very rocked by all the ways he twisted the Scripture. I had never been that off guard before. And so when I was in this dream and I felt the Lord say, confront him, I felt intimidated and I said, Lord, I can't, I'm not qualified. And then I woke up like as if it was a bad dream, like here is something that I was supposed to stop and prevent, but out of my own insecurities, I, I couldn't. And then I began to pray those next few days and weeks asking the Lord, what was I supposed to do? And I felt the Lord say, go to Bible college, prepare yourself, study in the word. And by God's grace, I've, I've had people throw me off at different times, but never as I had early experience with that Jehovah Witness, and I had not been afraid to confront. Amen. But I realized at a young age, being called by God, that that was going to be a dramatic part of my ministry, that that was going to be something that I would be called to. And so in pastoring people, it's been quite interesting as you guys have come along for the journey, especially those who have been around for a while. When I used to lead 201, we would go to the Kingdom Hall and actually attend a Jehovah Witness service, go witnessing to them. At another one of our locations, some of you probably remember coming to church on a Sunday and having four Jehovah Witness uh, 
four Mormons on stage because I had them come and had a Sunday school with them and debated them. They wouldn't allow us to record them. Others of you even here in this building might remember a few different times we've had black Hebrew Israelites in the back of our parking lot. Or maybe you were coming on a Friday youth group and you saw people dressed up like Odin and Thor because we were debating pagans who said they worshiped the Thor God, you know, Odin now. Seriously, we were in this corner just last year with James and some of the brothers with guys. One of them was a former missionary's son who renounced Christianity to worship the God of Thor. He had a hammer on his, on his uh, necklace, and we were debating them right there, right before the Friday youth group. God has used me to do that. And what I've noticed as we go back to our notes of chapter 3 of Galatians, thank you, is what I've noticed is that when people step out of Christianity, they never really truly examine where they're going next. What Paul is saying to them here is, you have now left the Spirit and you are in danger of being cursed by a false gospel because you can't have a false gospel and be saved. You can't have a false Jesus and be saved. How many know there's only one Jesus? How many know you got to have the Holy Spirit? If you don't have that Spirit, you're not saved. If you have the Spirit of the world, you're not saved. So, so he's saying to them, in this context, if you do this, Christ is of no value to you. You have been cut off. You have fallen away from grace. And what they don't understand is what they've traded it for. See, Galatians 3, he's waking them up now from this bewitching, in other words. Some of them are probably backslidden on their way to hell. I have some places to show you this in Revelation where it looks like the backsliding has already happened. It is now complete. They are now apostate. They're not just false converts, which I think some are like that in the Bible. Probably Judas is either a false convert or a backslider. Ananias and Sapphira are probably false convert or backslider. But in these contexts, and especially in Revelation, it's 100% apostates, backsliders. They were genuine Christians. They had genuine faith. They were genuinely given the Spirit at I mean, this. how much more could you have uh, been called a, a Christian? Look at it. Verse 2, I just want to learn one thing. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or receiving or believing what you heard? If you receive the Spirit of God, what does that make you? A what? A Christian, right? So these people have been this, but now some of them it looks like they have fallen away. But here's the thing. Everybody get this. They don't know what they've traded it for. When I talked to that guy from Odin, I asked him a bunch of questions he did not have answers for. He did not think through his position. When I've talked to people from Mormonism to Jehovah Witnesses, by the way, there's a Mormon uh, place in their history that's uh, in Nauvoo, Illinois. It's a part of, of their history where uh, Joseph Smith actually lived. I went down there and did some witnessing with Jared and asked the Mormons that are very dedicated to what's going on, the museums and temples there. They had not thought through what they had believed. There were unanswered questions. When I talk to the black Hebrew Israelites and I begin to go more into depth about their beliefs, they are not sure at a certain point because what they did is they jumped into the bait or they took the bait and jumped into something without understanding what they were really jumping into. And now not just to talk about those who reject Christ for another religion, I talk to agnostics and atheists all the time, and they are in the same, the same boat, and maybe you've met them. They say, oh, I've rejected Christianity because it's a book written by men. And then we say back to them, what book written by men are you now reading? Right? Well, I've rejected Christianity because all the evil in the world. Okay, so you don't like our explanation that we were given a choice. You tell us where all the evil has come from. And they don't have an explanation, do they? They, see, they don't understand what they're jumping into. It's like they're more about what they're against than what they're for. And what Paul wants us to do is to see what's really happening here. Notice what he says to them. Go back down to chapter 3. Go back down to chapter 3 now in verse 10. 
For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Do you think they knew that? Do you think they knew that? I'm asking you a question. Please listen to me. Do you think they knew that? By coming back under the law, you just went back under a curse. Remember, the sacrificial code didn't break a curse. It was preemptive, or a rather, it was a preliminary thing. It was a, it was a shadow of things to come because animal sacrifices themselves could not break the curse of your sin. So what did they do? They didn't even think through that, did they? Oh, man, we're just adding circumcision. See, this is how they're thinking about it. We're just adding circumcision to Christianity. And Paul now reminds them, no, 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 you're not just adding like Christianity's 99% good and you just added your 1% and now you got the 100% of true religion. No, 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 Christianity is 100% pure and the garbage you just added defiled it and took away everything that made it what it is. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. You have literally switched masters and now you're under a curse. See, but they didn't think about that. And then now look at how he draws it out for them. This is exactly when I talk to the black Hebrew Israelites or to the Mormons, to, to those who are really into their legalism, I show them this. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. So you ask a Muslim, have you ever missed prayer? Have you ever done these evil things even according to your own religion? Then how do you make up for these things? Oh, I'm going to do good works. How do you know you've done enough? Oh, I don't. Ah, you see, I know I don't get saved by good works, but by the grace of God. Therefore, I know I'm going to heaven because heaven's not based on what I do, but based on what he did. Do you get it? The same thing is with the other religions. Jehovah Witness, well, we do this, we do that. How do you know you've done enough? Because the Bible says, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. And as I continue to want to share stories with you, I guess, today, storytelling pastor, uh, and normally I don't tell too many, but when I do, I tell 100 all at once rapid fire, so try to keep up and remember all of them. When I was visiting, here's a cool intro to a story. When I was visiting the ashram of the Hare Krishnas out in the farmlands of Louisiana. Now, do you want to know the story? It's a very interesting uh, introduction, is it not? An ashram is just a holy place where they do their meditations. It's where their temple is at. It's where they, do their, uh, they grow their own vegetables. It's basically a commune. So I had met the Hare Krishnas in New Orleans. They were dancing and singing. That's their way of evangelizing. I had met a few here in Chicago. They're not as popular. That was another trend uh, in the 70s and 80s. So I go out there to visit them, and I begin to talk with them. I met a man that had a wonderful marriage, what he had told me, no reason to think he was lying, wonderful relationship with his children, but like Buddha, and remember, Buddhism is a reformation of Hinduism. They come from the same root, okay? And many share the same, uh, uh, many Hindus and Buddhists share very similar beliefs because they don't necessarily see them in opposition. So he said, Buddha, when he wanted to receive enlightenment or continue to grow in enlightenment, rather, after he had uh, experienced enlightenment but wanted to continue to grow, felt his wife and children were a great ball and chain, so he renounced them. So he kept renouncing things. I'm renouncing this, I'm renouncing that, I'm renouncing this, and I'm renouncing my wife, and I'm renouncing my children. This man on this commune had renounced his family and his children. Do you think he believed in his religion? Yeah, he did. He gave up everything for it. He's probably more serious than most Christians are. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. This man was willing to go as far as he possibly could for his religion. So what am I going to say to him? Am I going to say to him, man, you don't do enough works for your religion? No, what I said to him was, how do you know you've broken the karmic cycle? 
Because that's why they renounce everything. So that when they die, they can go into Brahma. They can go into Nirvana. They can go somewhere there's perfect light. And he said, I don't know. I said, so according to your own standards, you have renounced every possible thing, including your own family. And he would sit in solitude. And I don't see why this man would be lying to me. He would sit, and my one friend would do it for three days. He would do it for weeks in a room and eat just a little bit and then go right back into his position of solitude and meditation. And I said, have you achieved the goal? And have you gotten out of the karmic cycle? And he would say right back, I don't know. Because there's no assurance of salvation aside from Christ. Christ is unique when he says on the cross, it is finished. It is finished. What we did was make a mess. What he did was clean it. And that's why it says here, clearly, verse 11, clearly no one who relies on the law, not just the Jewish law, which of course the Jewish law is better than the Buddhist law. The Jewish law is better than the Hindu law. The Jewish law is better than the Islamic law. How many believe that? The Jewish law is better than the Mormon law, better than the Jehovah Witness law. But he says clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, this is what it says. And every religion, you can just say it just like this. Mormonism says this. Islam says this. Roman Catholicism says this. Seventh-day Adventism says this. Oneness Pentecostal say this. One of our professors at SUM 100% will tell you the Oneness Pentecostal is a false gospel and is a, is a religion of works. For it is written, this is what every religion will say rather, the person who does these things will live by them. You must be perfect by their standard and live by them lest you are under that curse. And, of course, they don't live by them and they don't have any power because even the law of God, the law given by Moses, 613, law, uh, 613 laws could not save. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Vinny, would you come, please? I want to show you just a few more. Go with me uh, to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 in closing. Is anybody learning anything? Amen. Don't be deceived. Don't follow trends. Follow the Holy Spirit. Stay in freedom. And God will help you through the issues that you may have or I may have that are personal convictions. But do not add anything to the gospel. As I ended one service, I believe it was last week, when I ended the service, I was sharing that I was preaching to a person at Popeye's Chicken. Does anybody remember that? I just want to reiterate that. Thank you for remembering because... When I went there with my friend from New Orleans to Miami to pick up his family from the Bahamas for, for graduation, we went to get some uh, chicken, and I started preaching to the woman, you know, uh, working. And I was a little bit zealous. You can, you can always tell the young by zeal, but the aged by wisdom. Amen? The true, the true aged. Not, not everybody's aged and wise, but young, you're zealous. When you're older, you're wise, right? That's what we're supposed to achieve. Still be zealous, but my strength isn't there anymore. When I was young, I was known for preaching for hours and hours and hours and hours and days and weeks and days and weeks. And I still do that, obviously, but I have a limit. You know, I, have a, I did seven hours of lectures on that demon possession thing by God's grace last week and six hours of Bible college, and I'm preaching uh, two hours a day. So what, over 10 hours of preaching, I, I get tired. But back in the day, that would have been just an average weekend, you know. <laughs> that would have been just an average weekend. But I was preaching to this dear woman, and I said, hey, do you know Jesus? Because, you know, that's my little, my intro. She's like, yeah, I know Jesus. 
And I'm like, cool, cool. But see, I wasn't happy with that. Then I go, okay, well, you living for Jesus. Now I know that's a good question to ask people. You know, you want to examine what their faith is like. What Jesus are you believing in? Are you living holy? And then she goes, oh, yeah, you know, I love Jesus. I'm living holy. And that was not enough for me. <laughs> so then I said, oh, okay, so you're not, you're not having sex outside of marriage. You're not getting drunk. You're not doing X, Y, and Z. Oh, no, I'm not doing any of that. And then I said something like, so you don't lust. You don't envy. I started naming off some of those other things. And then she was like, well, sometimes, you know. Then I was like, well, are you sure you know Jesus? I literally was being used in my own flesh to get this woman to question whether or not she was even a Christian. And then, you know, the chicken comes. We get out and do our thing. And uh, I said last week when I told the story, he was from Jamaica. He was actually from Bahamas. My friend Sean says to me, he goes, man, how are you preaching to her, man? I don't like that, man. I don't even think I'm saved. That's what he said to me. That's what he literally said to me. The way you were preaching to me, I'm not even saved, man. And I began to realize, like, wow, like I have other strong Christians in my life that are saying, Joe, you're not presenting this the right way. You're almost presenting it like a Judaizer, that the work is what makes them saved. Now, of course, there's a, a true balance in this that those who are saved will have good works. James talks about that. If you don't have good works, your faith counts for nothing. But you're not saved by your works. You're saved by the grace of God. And listen to what uh, Paul said here in Hebrews chapter uh, 3, verse 12. He said, see to it, brothers and sisters, talking to the Christians at that time, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Do you see how it works? Sin starts in your heart, and then what does it lead to? Sinful and then what? Sinful then what? Unbelieving. Remember we read in 1 Timothy 4 that you abandon the faith, then seducing spirits become your friends. Sin enters in and then disbelief, and then now you turn from God. Look at the three steps there. Sin, then unbelief, and turning from God. How many know backsliders today that were dabbling in sin, then they came towards unbelief, and now they have turned from God? That's a warning towards uh, uh, for us today. And it's not just avoiding the big things. Well, I don't, you know, I don't have uh, sex outside of marriage or this or that. Who are the ones Paul is warning in Galatians? These are the ones that are sinning by adding works to the gospel. And what does that actually lead to? And I want everybody's attention, please. It actually leads that sinning to unbelief because you can't do it good enough, and then you say it must not work, and then you give up on a gospel that was really no gospel at all. And so many of the people that I see rejecting the gospel are actually rejecting a false version of that gospel because they were convinced that it was something to do with their works. That's why I guard you as a pastor, as a leader. Please pray for me. I want to guard you because I don't want you to deconvert. I don't want you to have a false understanding of Christianity that you based on Trump being president, and then when your favorite prophet became an Oompa Loompa, now you're questioning God. And the same false prophet like Marcus Rogers that was talking about Trump, talk about the vaccine, talk about Christians with demons, and they talk about Halloween. They are false prophets. You follow them, and then when they fall flat on their face, you say, well, then God must not be real. 
You see, I have to talk to Christians that used to be Pentecostals that are now reformed when I go to my cemetery because they went to some stupid church that told them over and over they had demons, that told them over and over if they didn't give, they wouldn't be blessed, that told them over and over these conspiracies, and then they went to a real Bible college, read their Bible, and said it was make-believe, but thankfully they stayed a Christian and now deny women in the ministry, deny gifts of the Spirit, But they will take these false teachers and put them over their knee and spank them, and I'll allow them to do it. Why? Because they're at least protecting the body of Christ from this false, wild version that is undisciplined. If you want to serve Christ based on your ideas, that's fine. But just remember, your ideas are not the Bible's. I've listened to people who have traveled with Benny Hinn. What is his, Hinn's first name, the, the cousin, the nephew? Look it up so I can tell them. Listen to this man talk about how he mocks Benny Hinn. What is it? Benny Hinn or Costi Hinn. It's Benny Hinn's nephew, Costi Hinn. Mocks us, ridicules us. All of these people some of you follow, like Todd White, watch Mike Winger destroy Todd's White healing ministry with these stupid leg-growing tricks. And then now you have to go to your job and explain to the person who just watched that video why your hero hasn't renounced their stupidity, and now this person mocks our faith. That's why everybody understand me by God's grace. I don't hide behind this church. I preach there on the street and I challenge them all to public debates because we are not ashamed of the gospel here. As a matter of fact, by God's grace, remember I told you I debated that person about sin? Well, two years ago, that's when the BHI, Black Hebrew Israelites, lit up. You can watch it on the Signs and Wonders YouTube channel. Put in Signs and Wonders, Joe Wyrostic. The black Hebrew Israelites were way more popular at that time than this silly doctrine. So I ended up doing three months of debates with the black Hebrew Israelites live every single week. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Sakari, those who know uh, Sakari, I took them all on in Jesus' name and they got scared and ran away. You know why? Because we don't hide behind our little church pews with our little crazy doctrines that are not examined. When we teach you things against evolution or we teach you things by God's grace, we'll go to Wright College and get your back. I have brought people on from Answers in Genesis to help us debate evolutionary doctrine. Are you listening to me? When I was debating COVID and all of that, don't you remember I got doctors on the shows with me? I went to the facts of the matter. When they put me on to debate, one of the guys said to me, he said, uh, it was uh, WTTN. I believe that was the, the show that I was on. They had me debating another pastor. And they thought they were going to mock me because I believe it was for their propaganda. So this African-American pastor, he has a church, a large Baptist church, right outside of the uh, Comiskey Stadium right there. And what they wanted to do, I think, was to have him come on, seem very calm, cool, collected, and me just come on, babble in tongues a little bit, say, Jesus got me, and I'm not going to get hurt by anything. I can walk on water. And then they would just simply show, hey, guys, come on. I mean, obviously, this pastor is just a religious nut. Follow this gentleman. But within 30 seconds, that backfired. 
because I had fact after fact after research after research after research and the man out of his own mouth said back to me in the interview the interviewer said well it sounds like you have faith and fact and I said that's exactly what I have because my faith does not contradict fact I don't have to say Trump's still my president do you understand that? I don't have to say Trump's still my president. I don't have to. That's how he won the second term. And did I not warn you guys against that? Did I not? I'm asking a question. As your pastor, did I not warn you guys in January? I said, I will give it three months before I ask all of these false prophets to renounce what they said. And only a few of them did. But they made all of that money, all of that attention, and they kept preaching their nonsense. And now we're listening to them about the other thing, the next thing, the next thing. Examine who you're listening to. Come on, get, let me give you one more. I'll give you the last one. Somebody say, help us, Jesus. Amen. Go to Revelation chapter 2, verse 20. I'm not any better than anybody else. I'm just, by the grace of God, who I am. But I'm just telling you, I won't sit back in a generation in a time like this that's confused and not at least give you something that you can chew on throughout the week and give you some meat, not cotton candy. Amen, Billy? not con candy, give you some steak to chew on. I went back over this week's uh, lectures on that, seven hours, I listened to every single one of them, double speed. Three and a half hours, I went back and listened to myself so I could get better at what I do. I take what I do serious, amen? Look at Revelation chapter two, verse 20. And I love people who are still struggling with this. If they take it personal, I pray that they don't. It's for their benefit. This is not a personal thing. This is pastoring, loving people. Look at what it says, Jesus speaking to them. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. You see, not everybody who says they're a prophet is a prophet, are they? By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. Now listen to this. I want everybody to get this. Verse 21. I have given her time to repent of her immorality. So let's just put this together. We learned about Gnostics. They denied the flesh, lived however they want. We learned about Judaizers. They were trying to add the law. We learned from 1 Timothy, there's some that get their doctrines from demons, right? I mean, like it's all happening. Here's another one. Number four, you could put it as another false teaching going on at that time. Here's a prophet named Jezebel saying, eat these foods, do these sexual things. Very simple. I mean, uh, similar to the temple prostitutes of those times that worshiped the goddess Diana. So she's mixing goddess Diana type worship into the church. And by the way, guys, everyone listen to me, please. That's why in both Corinth and Ephesus, women are giving strict restrictions. Why is that? Because these were the kind of things those women used to do as prophetesses. Have you ever asked yourself, why is it the women can't have braided hair, but they can have a ponytail? What's it about? Okay, I'll bring my daughter up here. I can't do it well, but I, I'll, I'll try to braid her hair, but then I'll put it in a ponytail. Did anything spiritually different happen? Here's the braid, right? Here's the braid. Am I, am I I'm kind of doing it right? There it is. I'm doing the braid. Here's the ponytail. Anything spiritually happened there? No, but why does he say in Ephesus, in the same place where he says, I don't let them talk, I don't let them have an authority, why is it he says, I don't let them wear braided hair either? And then why does he say, I don't let them wear gold and in costly jewels? Why does he say they can't wear a nose ring? Nose ring was popular in the Bible. They put nose ring on Rachel, I believe, when uh, Jacob saw her. Isaac saw Isaac married Rebecca. I believe it was Rebecca. Put a nose ring. Just Google it for me so they can have it, please. Put a nose ring. Why does it say don't wear nose rings? 
Why is it very specific? Because it's talking about the way these folks used to dress and what they used to do. And Paul is saying, not in this church. So this woman had gotten out of control. Now watch this. I want everybody to see it, please, in closing. Because God is gracious. Let me say he's gracious. Thank you. God is gracious. Verse 21. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's what? But she's unwilling. So now what is God going to do? I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely until they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all those churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. It doesn't matter where it's coming from or what the motivation is. When false teaching is entering a church or an environment, God is very specific about it. It's not just we're wrong on certain things. Please understand that. A false teaching is something that affects the core of the gospel. Does everybody get that? If I haven't been clear, let me just remind you in closing. The false gospel, the false teaching, the bewitching, the losing of the Spirit of God, the turning towards something else is not us debating over something that's disputable. It's something that touches the core nature of the gospel. And those are the kinds of things that lead to this. But God is patient with us. So this, everybody get this. Do I think Joe Lostein is apostate yet? I don't think so personally. If you're just asking me, which by the way, I'm not his judge. Do I think he's apostate yet? No. But I think he's close. I think he's close. And, and a lot of people love to mess with the Joe Osteens, but they never go to the other side and mess with the legalists like the John MacArthur's who mock the spirit. Remember, see, our Calvinist friends will get you on their live videos and they'll say, oh, look at all these crazy Bethelite people. Look at all of the Joel Osteen people. Look at all of these things. But then they'll try to say, but don't pay attention to John MacArthur mocking the spirit. Don't pay attention to what these other people have done that are called Calvinists that disrespect the gospel and say some are doomed from the womb. So here's what I try to be. I try to say, okay, there are things that Joel Osteen says that I disagree with and I'll preach against it but what he confesses as his faith he's for Jesus because he confesses Jesus is Lord died, buried, rose again from the dead and Jesus said if they're not against us they're for us. Can I hear an amen to that? And then I do the same thing to this legalist Calvinist over here or to this legalist fundamental Baptist over here and I go, yep, they're pretty, they're pretty strict. You know, they don't believe women can wear pants they believe that women can't wear makeup. They have to read the King James. But do they believe that by grace through faith you're saved? Do they confess Jesus as Lord, death, burial, and resurrection, the Jesus of the Trinity, not the Jesus of Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness? Okay, well, then they're saved, but I disagree with them. Everybody get this. From the liberal to the lawless, it's the law of love and dedication to Christ that will keep you focused. When those people, even like Peter and Barnabas, were being deceived, it was because they were leaning in one direction or the other. And Jesus, through Paul, was teaching them that what we do is follow the Spirit. Let me just skip ahead, please. Go to Galatians 5.19. What he was saying is this is what it looks like. This is how Galatians is going to end. Galatians is going to end with these are the deeds of the flesh. These are the things of what it looks like when you're not serving God, and it's obvious. And you can have them in any worldview. You can be religious. 
You can be lawless. You will live like, this is what it will look like. Not only will you make false idols of God, you'll make false idols of the devil. You'll be afraid of everything and superstitious. But then what does he say the spirit is like? Love. Let's read these together, please. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Keep reading, please. Against such things there is no law. That's what Christianity comes down to. If you need someone to keep telling you moral laws, you have not understood Christ. I've been in Christianity over 20 years by God's grace, and I think I got the moral laws down within a few months. (laughs) Like, it's pretty obvious the deeds of the flesh of what they are. Where the real issue is, is that most people do not know how to live by the Spirit. That's just what it is. What most people will say is, well, I don't do this, you know, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't chew, and I don't hang with those who do. But they don't have necessarily a fullness of love. They're not full of joy. They're not full of peace and forbearance. Is everybody tracking with me? And so they substituted the things of the Spirit from something up here. Do you know that religion is selfish ambition? Do you know that when I was promoting King James-ism over the Word of God, I was doing that selfishly? Do you know that when I saw the fighting of some of these people over Halloween, they they were fighting over it in such a way that was disrespecting the body of Christ, they were actually performing deeds of the flesh of dissensions and factions on both sides? And I was sitting back here going, you're going to tear apart the body of Christ over something like this? Factions and dissensions? Others out of envy? Yeah, we don't do drunkenness orgies, but all throughout this week in all Christendom, there has been selfish ambition, there's been dissensions, there's been factions, there's been envy, there's been discord, and they're calling that the gospel. Not here. We don't call that the gospel here, amen? Do not let anyone bewitch you. Stand in the grace of God. And as you work out your salvation, and as you come to the questions, man, there's so many questions. It's so funny. Some of the Bible college students might tell you, I'll be teaching one thing, and then I'll go to another thing, and then another thing. And then somewhere like 20 minutes over here, we're talking about Genghis Khan. And I'm like, how did we go from... Jesus and to Genghis Khan because how many know you can always increase in knowledge knowledge puffeth up puffeth up but love edifies let people know that you belong to Christ by your love for one another let people follow the gospel that God has given you by the fruit of the spirit over 20 years, by God's grace, I've been preaching the gospel, and I've never seen more fruit than we have in these last few years, but it's come at a cost. You know what cost that it's come at? It's come at me not chasing down BLM. There are Christians who got a platform from BLM, and they're still talking about BLM. There are people who got a platform from COVID and resisting the government, and they're still talking about that. There's other people that got a platform from this, and this is what God told us to do. Stay on the gospel. Be cross-eyed. Focus on the cross of Jesus Christ for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation first for the Jew then for the Gentile for therein is a righteousness revealed for the righteous who shall live by faith 
That's the true gospel. Can we get up for Jesus today? God bless you. Thank you for staying. Can we have the altar workers and band come? It is no coincidence that this season we were going through the book of Galatians, was it? Any coincidence, folks? Not at all. Do you think that's a coinky dink? When I want everyone to hear this as the altar workers are coming. This is my man, Vinny, right here. Everybody say hi, Vinny. If you want to be a rock star, say, hey, Vinny Barbarino. <laughs> Vinny, turn on your mic, please. Vinny, as God is my witness. Thank you. When I started this sermon series, do you think I had any idea on Galatians that I would be literally having to refer to this as a way of settling issues in our church? You know me. Do you think I knew that? Not at all. As a matter of fact, if some of you remember when, when we first brought it up, I was thinking, why am I even going to go into Galatians right now? Like, Revelation made sense. How many enjoy the Revelation series, the charts and all that, by God's grace? And I was like, John makes sense because we all got to live like Jesus. But seriously, I thought to myself, in my, my mind, I go, why go verse by verse through Galatians? Sometimes when I come from first to second, it is so funny because in first service, like we're talking about Jesus doing miracles and Jesus doing this. We all celebrating, high-fiving, and then I come out and I almost feel like it's somber. That's why I try to lighten it up a little bit at the beginning, you know, like, hey, how you guys doing? You enjoying the weather? Because we're about ready to hear Paul call people fools twice, say they're cursed a whole bunch of times, say they're bewitched, because that's what we're, we're going to go again to it. But now I understand why God has us go through these things because we have to have a full diet. If you want more of the, what we would say, the encouraging side, I hope this encourages you, but you get my point, more of the encouraging, thank you. Go to Galatians, or go to the John series, but I'm glad it does encourage you, my brother. Let's pray. Father, we don't want to be bewitched. Starting with me to everyone here, if anyone has been bewitched, Lord, would you check our hearts right now? If anyone here has believed something that is false, to the point where it is cutting in on the gospel. It is cutting in on the way we treat people who have received the gospel. If it's cutting in and changing the way we see what we're supposed to do, expose it right now in the name of Jesus. As Christians are beginning to pray, if anyone here is not a Christian, you have already been bewitched by the things of this world. The spirit of this air, the Bible says, has deceived you. Would you repent and ask Christ to be your foundation of truth today, to forgive you of sins? Just repent. Say, I'm sorry, Father, in Jesus' name, for following other ways, other ideas, other teachings, and confess him to be the Lord of your life, and Jesus will set you free. As that is happening here now, let us all examine our heart, please. Come on. Christian, examine your heart. Has anything bewitched you? Anything to take you out of the precious gospel. If I heard your gospel today, would I have to be like my friend from, from the Bahamas and say, man, according to that, I'm not saved. This person's not saved. Why are you doing that? Would I hear your gospel and say it's unrecognizable? Few moments, few moments. If I was to eavesdrop on some of your conversations, Christian versus Christian, would I say that you're acknowledging the Christ within them, the, 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 the Holy Spirit, or would I say that you're tearing each other down putting laws and back and forth and corrections that are meant to be between them and the Holy Spirit. Come on. God has not called us into bondage. A few moments right now. We'll leave these altars open as we get ready to dismiss. 
But if you need to come to Jesus, would you come to him? Feel free to come up. We'll even pray for you. But especially if you're a Christian, would you make sure your heart is right? Do you think my friends today who turned to other religions that used to be Christians, you think they started off going, I'm going to deny the faith one day. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to become a Muslim. No, how does it start? They start sinning in their heart, following the flesh, fighting in the church, being dissentious, selfish, all of those things. And then what do they do? That sin leads to unbelief. And then they turn from God. A few moments, check your heart before you wreck it right now. God says, examine yourself. David said, Lord, test and try me and see if there's any wicked way in me. And then lead me in the way of everlasting. Lord, I don't want to be one that stumbles and falls. Lord, I don't want to believe a false gospel. Lord, I want all that you have for me. I don't want the flesh. A few moments with everybody's head bowed and eyes closed as you're praying. You know what the flesh looks like? It looks like a Hagar with Abraham. Yeah, Hagar was a woman just like Sarah. She could have a baby just like Sarah. But what was the difference? We're going to get into Abraham more next week by God's grace. And that comparison will be brought up. Because what's the difference between Hagar and Sarah? One is a child of promise. And the other one is an act of the flesh. One is the way you trust God and say, it's God working in me. Greater is he than he that's in the world. I'm more than a conqueror. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. And then the other one says, I'm going to work for it. I'm going to try to do it. I'm going to try to outdo my neighbor. I'm going to talk about how awesome I am, how religious I am. few moments, few moments right now, God will change your heart as he's done for me. Come on, don't believe what Jezebel says. Don't believe what the legalizers say. Don't believe what the Gnostics say. Don't follow false spirits. A few moments right now, Jesus, we're following you. Testing all things, holding to what is good. Testing all things, holding to what is good. By God's grace, you're going to keep growing if you do this. I promise you, you'll keep growing. Just as I have grown in the faith and seen this church grow and others grow, you're going to keep growing, saint. Don't give up. Stay focused. A few more moments and we'll dismiss. But I sense God moving right now, setting you free, setting us free, giving you permission to have a spirit-led relationship. There's no law against the love of God. There's no love against him developing peace and patience in your life. Thank you, Jesus. I just want you, Jesus. I just want the gospel, Jesus. I just want the cross, Jesus. Hide me behind the cross, Jesus. Oh, God, when I think I stand, warn me, God, lest I fall, oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, we need you, Lord. We're calling on your name. Come on, man, would you just say his name? I'm calling on Jesus. Yeshua saves. I'm calling on Jesus. Some of us have prayed prayers like the Pharisee prayed. I'm glad I'm not like them. I'm glad I don't vote like them. Oh, I'm glad I don't celebrate what they celebrate. Oh, I'm glad I'm not like them. God, God said that's a pharisaical prayer. 
Whenever we pray about our sanctification or what God has done, we ought to pray, thank you, Jesus, that I once was blind, but now I see. I thank you, Jesus, that I once was ignorant, but now I'm illuminated. We never say I'm better than that person that is in the position we used to be in. We are only better off because of what Jesus did. Come on. No Pharisees here in Jesus' name. Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You're the star of the show. You're our rabbi. You're our teacher. Well, I was baptized by Paul. I was baptized by Apollos. Well, I was baptized by Peter. He said, God forbid we all belong to Christ. Christ alone. Jesus. Jesus in this nation. How can we win a city if we're divided? God, unify us together and rid us of false doctrines and teachings that distract us. Jesus. Jesus, come to our churches. Set them on fire again. Oh, God, unify the church under the blood-stained banner of the cross. Bring us back out on the streets again. If we were sharing a jail cell, we probably wouldn't be so selfish with each other. And that's where we're headed unless you bring revival. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you for your patience today. I hope that you were blessed. As we get ready to leave out of here today, I just want to pray a prayer of blessing on us as you continue to pray for me. So, Father, thank you for giving us your word. Keep our eyes on you, not on the things of this world, so that we don't get bewitched and evil eye because we're looking at other things. May we see Christ and him crucified in all that we do. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. God bless you, saints. Can you give it up? Feel free to fellowship, to hang out, but stay cross-eyed this week. Focus on Jesus. Amen? Amen, sister. You're going to focus on Jesus. Look at the cross, Christ in him crucified, the hope of glory. Come on, can you put up Galatians 1 as we're doing?